Taking up your cross, suffering and sacrificing have been superseded with name it and claim it. And as dark as I know it looks out there, the good news is that God is advancing his kingdom. It's very exciting to be a part of his great commission. It's Sheila Zelinsky. The Sheila Zelinsky Show, the only show to give you the truth behind the headlines, prophecy, and the deeper things of God. Now. Here is your host, End Time Watchwoman, Sheila Zelinsky. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Sheila Zelinsky Show. Thank you for tuning into the broadcast tonight, folks. I broadcast Monday to Friday, that's weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on Worldwide Christian Radio. Folks, if you have not got a copy of my book, Green Gospel, do go to greengospel.ca, do pick up a copy today, and give one out to your pastor, church congregation, and anybody you know running around saving the planet. It is a very timely book, and I really believe the hand of God is on it, and I want to get it in your hand. So do go to greengospel.ca and get a copy of Green Gospel, very important book. And finally, please do tune in at the end of the program. I do have an important announcement to tell my listeners. So do listen to the end of the program, please. My guest today, you all know, he's a frequent guest on the show, Dr. Danny Morano. He's an amazing apostolic minister of the gospel from godisnotreligious.net, author of many incredible books such as the Sinner's Prayer Gospel, God is Not Religious, Who Are the Aliens, and he's working on another one, and I can't wait for that one, The Counterfeit Church, what a timely book that is, and he joins me tonight to talk about the key that most Christians are missing when it comes to the climate of this dark world. Dr. Danny Morano, welcome back to the program. Thank you for coming on again. Thank you, Sheila. Always a pleasure to be with you. You know, Danny, one of the things I see a common thread here as I look on the horizon of what's out there, the arrogance, the the haughtiness displayed in people today is absolutely grievous to me. You know, the Bible talks, of course, about humility. Do you think there's a correlation between this pride? You know, they say pride cometh before the fall. Is there a correlation here in society right now, do you think? Absolutely. I refer to it as the arrogance of ignorance uh, because, you know, Jesus brings this out in Revelation and many teachers in the last, you know, generation, let's just put it that way, have said that they have acquainted 
this generation with the church that Jesus was speaking to, the church of Laodicea. We refer to, you know, this lukewarm, compromising church that we have, especially in the West, many times as the Laodicean church. Uh, Jesus said just that in some different words. He said, look, this is your opinion of yourself. You think you're rich, but my opinion is you're poor. You think you're smart and, and cunning and, you know, uh, but I think that you're stupid and ignorant, Jesus said. And he went on with a few different uh, comparisons and basically let them know. And your worst sin is that you are lukewarm. You've not chosen to be cold or to be to be hot. I would rather that you be cold totally against me or be hot totally on fire for me. But you think you can get away. And this is part of arrogance. You think you can get away with taking kind of a neutral, cynical um, position somewhere in the middle. And at the last minute, you'll jump to the right side. You want to play me for a fool, basically, Jesus said. And Jesus said, here's my response to you. I will vomit you out of my mouth. In other words, you will have no part in my kingdom whatsoever if that's the attitude that you take. And, you know, we have many. Uh, scriptures in the in our in our Bible that tell us that having a proud attitude, like Jesus, uh, like the scripture says, you know, the Lord says, "I hate a proud look or a haughty attitude." And look at the discourse of the Apostle Paul in First Corinthians in the first two chapters, where he says that the people of this world have made fools out of themselves. Romans as well, he said, brings the same argument. Made fools out of themselves by thinking that they're so wise and thinking that their worldly wisdom trumps God's. And he says clearly that God's wisdom is at odds with man's wisdom, that man's wisdom is foolishness to God, and God's wisdom is foolishness to the natural mind, to the mind that's not in submission to the Holy Spirit. So, you know... This arrogance makes people stupid. And, and I have to tell you, just from experience that I have every day, I can't believe the things that I hear fly out of people's mouths and I'm waiting for them to crack a grin or start laughing and, and show me that they were joking. And they're not joking. They're dead <laughs> serious. They're really that stupid and they're really that bold about being that ignorant. And they really don't know that they're ignorant and they're totally arrogant about it. And that's a sign, I hate to say it, of a mind that may very well be in a reprobate state, right? That's what Romans 1 talks about. Paul says, God has turned them over to a reprobate mind. Right. And the arrogance of the things that God has turned, look at the arrogance of the people who are practicing the things that God turned them over to, right? All these deep, terrible sexual perversions and all these things that Paul lists in Romans 1, which would be like uh, a CNN feed today for us. I mean, it's like today's news, what Paul mentions in Romans 1, the same grievous sins and the same grievous idolatrous and arrogant attitude. And uh, it's, it's blinds. It blinds people. And it has blinded the modern Christian, the postmodern Christian. You know, this arrogance of the doctrines that are being preached, that God owes us something, that, you know, God's 
uh, God's on the take. You know, God, Jesus is looking for friends, basically. I mean, this is how we give the altar call in these contemporary churches, if an altar call even goes forth anymore. And most of these seeker friendly sissy fests, you know, most of these places don't even have altar calls anymore. But even when the altar call has been given over the past 20, 30 years, it almost comes across like tongue in cheek, almost like an apology. Almost like God, you know, guys, listen, Jesus is really lonely. He feels rejected. He feels misunderstood. Uh, why don't you guys give him a break and let him come into your life? Let Jesus uh, become a part of your life. Invite him into your heart. You know, this kind of invitation is the, the utmost arrogance. There's no surrender. There's no submission. There's no acknowledgement and fear of a holy God. And that all stems from what you're talking about, an arrogance. And this arrogance blinds us to the truth, Sheila. Many times when I'm talking to people and I'm telling them about things that are reality, whether, like you said, it's, it's being manifest in the actual contemporary events that are going on, current events that are going on, or if it's truth from the word, there's kind of an arrogant dismissal uh, of I don't even have time to search that out, to to uh, research that. Uh, don't confuse me with the facts. I've already made up my mind. That's where people are at. And I've got people telling me all the time, oh, you know, we don't have to pitter patter over those issues and debate. Those are secondary issues. Yeah, well, those secondary issues, pal, are taking people to the lake of fire. But it boils my blood and it never fails that when I watch an interview conducted by a secular journalist or a TV show mogul with one of these mega church leaders today, the first and most important question is always concerning the minister's position on a particularly scandalous lifestyle or behavior or whether or not they will be judged by God for it. And I cannot express the utter blood boiling I have and, and shame really, I feel, for the representation of Jesus Christ's ministry as I watch these so-called men of God tactfully dance around the mulberry bush, dance around the question in every effort not to offend, not to be politically incorrect. It's a valiant exercise in shrewdness to play this. You know, I'm just, you know, I'm neutral on the issue. I mean, it's just so absolutely mind-numbing to me that we have these pastors that absolutely refuse to preach an uncompromised word. They will not take a firm stance. Yeah, but that's, that is, you know, the, here's the deception, right? That comes across to the unrenewed mind as a compassion, right? As this kind of postmodern definition of love and tolerance that everyone's practicing, right? It comes across like almost humble, you know, it's a false humility of, oh, well, I'm not going to judge. Even the Pope is, is walking around practicing this false humility now of, oh, who am I to judge, you know? And this comes across to people as so liberal and compassionate, but it really is the utmost arrogance once again, because it's saying, you know, they're siding with the culture. And this is what we have to understand, because people like you and I, who are looking for the truth and standing on the truth, um, we don't relate to this uh, 
kind of cosmopolitan vogue what's in attitude. But that's the what's in attitude of the world right now. Is this don't define me. Don't tie me down. Look, they don't even want to be defined when it comes to gender. They're trying to totally wipe out the lines when it comes to gender. I mean, look at the two biggest role models in this Sodom and Gomorrah, this mystery Babylon called the United States of America right now, are this Caitlin demon, okay, manifesting through this former Olympic star, Bruce Jenner, and a kid who is a boy that they've made a television show about him as a transgender. This is who this nation is looking up to as role models, okay? So the whole thing that's in vogue, and you got to understand, these ministers that you're talking about, they want the popular vote, like a politician. These guys, in fact, you know what? I'm going to stop calling them even life coaches and positive attitude speakers or whatever they call motivational speakers. I'm going to start calling them what they are. They're politicians. They play the same type of game as Clinton and Obama and the rest of them. They want the popular vote. Okay. They want to be in with where the culture and the culture is at a place of not being tied down to any moral stand no absolutes everything is we used to call it back in the day they don't use the terminology anymore we used to call it situational ethics you know according to the circumstance according to the situation we kind of flip a coin lick our finger and stick it in the air and see which way the wind is blowing in popular opinion and then we side with that so that's where society has been programmed to stand that's their stance so these false ministers let's call them what they are these uh smears of falsehood as job put it smears of falsehood physicians of no value these false prophets and false teachers they want to uh secure the affections and especially the finances of the ignorant public out there so they're siding with that. So they're operating in arrogance as well. They're they're joining in that arrogance uh that the public has demonstrated of hey, I'm my own god. I can decide whether or not this appeals to me or not. I mentioned this on my show. I saw an old clip on TBN and uh Paul Crouch, he was still alive, the the father Paul Crouch. And he was there with his son. And then they had a couple. Jonathan Kahn was on there, the guy that wrote the uh, the book. Yeah. Uh, he was on there in the middle. And he was sitting in the right place because that's the way he came across to me. It's just in the middle. He didn't really make any qualifying statements on the subject that they were talking about. And they had a guy there who, who laid out an excellent teaching on the fact that this preacher rapture is nonsense. And he did it from the book of Revelation. And he showed, like I do in many of my teachings, that you can't read the book of Revelation chronologically. A lot of the book of Revelation is the same event being seen from a different angle. It's like shooting a TV show and have three different cameras because you want to capture different angles, okay? And he brought it out wonderfully, you know, the four incidences of the return of Christ. And he proved masterfully how these are one event at the very end of time and this preacher rapture is nonsense, all right? Then they had a couple of clucks on there who couldn't put together three sentences to defend their pre-trib position, 
which supposedly the majority holds, and you're crazy if you don't hold this position, and so on and so forth. And one pastor was there, and of course, he was just there to sing the specials, hallelujah. But they turned over to him, and they said, hey, you preach this pre-trib rapture. And he said, yeah, I've been preaching that for 40 years. And they said, well, why don't you chime in here and, and tell us what you think? And the guy couldn't put two sentences together, okay? And, and his final, and this is what I want people to see, because this is what people do. His final out was, well, if that was good enough for Brother Roberts and good enough for Brother Hagen and good enough for Brother Shambach, then that's where I stand. So ultimately, it's the popular word of man, whether it be the popular word of man in the world or the popular word of man in the church, but nobody's willing to study it out. Now, Crouch's son sat there and listened to this whole scholarly presentation by this gentleman. I always his name always escapes me, unfortunately. And listen to the nonsense of these other guys. But this is how he made his decision. And this is the reason I'm bringing this up, because you talk about this arrogance. It was absolute arrogance. He said, well, I know brother so-and-so brought out some great points and so on and so forth. But I'm just going to have to go with Brother Bill's version because I don't want to go through a no persecution. How's, is the audience with me? And he raised his hands. How many of the audience are with me? I don't want to wow. go through, through tribulation. And I said, I'm going to be honest with you. I literally mouthed it out and the person was next to me kind of, you know, shivered a little. But I said, that arrogant bastard, who does he think he is? To step up above God's word and decide from his ignorant, anal mindset that he can decide what the truth is according to his flimsy, faggy emotions. He doesn't want to go through. Well, I mean, I don't think that Peter and Paul were lusting after the guillotine. I don't think if you would have asked the apostle Peter, hey, Peter, you know, I see you out here doing all this great work for the Lord. What do you think about hanging upside down and letting all the blood rush to your head until your head explodes? Or saying to Paul, listen, now, what do you think about being locked up in a Philippian jail and, and writing your letters from there and eventually going to the guillotine and having your head chopped off? Or asking the apostle Thomas, if he wanted to be speared to death in the mountains of India or asking the apostle John, if he wanted to be boiled alive in hot tar and so on and so forth, you follow what I'm saying? And, and think of all the martyrs down through the ages. Do you think they wanted this to happen to them? Of course not. They didn't want it. Even Jesus himself in his very last hour in the garden of Gethsemane, I mean, let's be real. The humanity of Jesus came out and Jesus said, father, Father, if there's any way that this cup can pass from me, let it be so. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Okay, so even Jesus, Scripture says he sweat uh, and he sweat drops like drops of blood. He he shed tears like drops of blood. He was in great anguish. This is the Lord of Lords, in whom the Spirit of the Godhead dwelt bodily. I mean, you talk about being possessed by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was completely possessed by the Holy Spirit. All right. But he struggled in his humanity with this final prospect of being tortured and mocked and humiliated 
and and murdered. Okay, so nobody is longing for that. That's I mean, that's a crazy assertion to begin with. But the arrogance of people to think that they can just decide that they don't want this or they don't want that, and that makes it law. This is what shows you where people are at today, and I'm talking about supposed Christians. They think they can tell God what they're going to believe, and they can just cut and paste, chop up his word any way they want, souffle it, and serve it out to people in a twisted, perverted uh, misinterpretation, and God is going to accept them because they sing vanilla praise and worship songs and get all passionate about it on Sunday mornings. Well, I got news for people. That's not the Jesus of the scriptures. And Jesus will have an accounting force. And many of these people are going to be the people that stand before the Lord and say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out devils, healed the sick, so on and so forth, even raised the dead, they say. And I would add to that, speak in tongues, any supernatural manifestation. You know, but the Lord will say what? Depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of iniquity, into everlasting fire for whom has been prepared. It's been prepared for the fallen angels, the devil and his angels. They think they're above all that today, Sheila. And that's the deception. This is the great delusion. So they're on there talking about this great falling away that's going to come, this strong delusion that's going to come. Hey, friend, the greatest deception is that it has already come. Just like I tell all these people that, you know, kind of, you know, brazenly stand out there and say, listen, I'm out here, you know, in this homosexual parade or I'm out here uh, doing this and that or the other. And listen, look, I'm not judged. God hasn't judged me. And I say, no, you fool. The judgment is that you're out there doing that and you don't even realize that the judgment has already come down upon you. That's why. God has allowed you to act like such a fool. He's turned you over to your own passions as a slave to depravity. Well, and it reminds me of Romans one twenty one. That comes to mind because when they knew and recognized him as God, they did not honor and glorify him as God or give him thanks. But instead, they became futile and godless in their thinking with vain imaginings, foolish reasoning and stupid speculations and their yes. senseless minds were darkened. It seems like we're living now in a time, Danny, when it's not only completely godless and morally bankrupt and debaucherous, but we've also got a situation in society where not only does God not exist to these people, while well, even if he does exist, his presence is irrelevant. His moral standard is totally inconsequential, and that's the frightening part to me. Yes, yes. Well, either that, or they've recreated him in their image. I will often say, you know, and 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 man said, let us create God in our in our image according to our likeness. And this is what you see in Revelation 13, by the way, with the two beasts. Okay, the beast that comes out of the sea and the beast that comes out of the earth, the false prophet. Uh, you know, they recreate. Look what the false prophet does. He creates an image of the beast, and he has the power to give it the breath of life so that it had the ability to speak and command all who dwell on the earth 
to bow and give homage to, to the beast and to receive a mark in their right hand or their forehead to worship the beast without which they would not be able to buy, sell, or trade. So this is the, the inverse of the Godhead's declaration and decision in heaven uh, you know, before all time, in, it, probably within eternity or maybe in the beginning of time, let us now make man in our image after our likeness. Satan has flipped that over and, and through rebellious man turned it around where man is now God. And he has, like it says in Romans 1, it talks about how the Romans, uh, you know, reduced God to detestable things. They made gods in the image of detestable, creeping, crawling things, things that crawl in the dirt of the earth and bowed down to these things. This is what they brought God down to, okay, and the, the, uh, the image of animals. I mean, look at this doctrine of evolution that most sissy pastors and churches in the evangelical church today even still don't take a bold stand against. Uh, they try even this this pope for you Roman Catholics out there. He tries to mix this evolution doctrine. You came from you know some algae in a swamp somewhere originally and graduated to a a feces eating monkey, and eventually you stood up straight and became the you know genius creature that you are today. I mean, how can you? You talk about the the greatest insult that you could ever give the living God. And yet there are people, many, many, many Christians and supposed Christian leaders who try to fix that, you know, try to mix that. And even the best of them, Sheila, I'll be honest with you. These guys that are preaching this gap theory between Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. Uh, you know, that this big thing happened in between there. I mean, God just skipped over it, right? He wrote verse one about the creation, and then all of a sudden he left out a whole history of of, <laughs> right. of a kingdom of, of Lucifer on the earth and all this destruction that occurred. And all. He just left that out and moved into verse two and continued with the first conversation. I mean, this is how dumbed down we've become. But you know where that comes from, Sheila? That comes from that generation. And most guys who are preaching that are kind of in the Vietnam vet or older generation. That comes from the generation of trying to balance this evolution thing, trying to deal with this evolution theory, you know, work it out somehow, Try, feeling like you need to justify this 6,000 years or be able to make the Bible say, something that it doesn't, that it was more than 6,000 years, or whatever the case is. They're still fearing man on that evolution front, okay? And now we see that happening, you know, in more perverted ways on the homosexual front, and even in the doctrines, uh, you know, that, that the church, you know, the counterfeit church wants to continue to propagate, to constantly leave things open. You know, I worked as a security guard for a company. It was a German company, all right, but it was contracted by the U.S. Army. So we were actually working for a German company, and to work for this German company, Sheila, you had to pass a test in German, in technical high German. That was a miracle itself that I passed... But you had to pass a test in high German 
to uh, be able to know German law regarding weapons, for instance, in particular, right? But then when you got on base, you were under what they call the rules of engagement, according to the U.S. military. So what was the rules of engagement? Basically, shoot anything that moves and don't ask any questions. What was the German law, Sheila? You better not shoot anything or you're going to jail for life. So we stood on the military base with that conflict constantly before us. And every time we tried to bridge that gap, right, to try to get a, you know, a consensus, a, a final ruling on where we would stand, we could never get it. And you know what? I finally figured it out. They wanted that discrepancy. They wanted that lack of clarity because that gave them power to use us as guinea pigs that if anything ever happened on the military base, we would take the fall and we would take the blame and they could back out, right? Because the U.S. military would allow us to be tried under German law. Even though they're the ones who told us, you don't ask no question, you just pull that gun out and start shooting, boy. Is that your, well, Ameri is that your American uh, military commander? <laughs> well, most of the guys, you know where they come from. You know, they come from uh, those parts of the country. But no, we had actually the guy who was over us was a New York Puerto Rican. So, <laughs> it's a different guy. He told us, no, you just pull your, you pull your gun out and you shoot. I said, well, that's easy for you to say. But after I pull my gun out and shoot, then what? I'm standing in a German court. Are you going to be standing there defending yeah. me in German? So the reason I bring that out is this. You know, these vague areas, these cloudy areas that we talk about, they are not without design, Sheila. And I'm talking about in the church. And by the way, Romans 1 was not written to Nero. Paul didn't say, please take this to Nero in his court. This was written to Christians. So he was already telling Christians back then, listen, you better not be on this wishy-washy train that your society's on. You need to come out of this and take a stand on these issues, right? And this is what we have today. And and the church, the counterfeit church, just like we talked about last time, the last interview I think I did with you, uh, you know, has played ball with Father State and, and Mother Whore Babylon all along, right, to get the benefits that she can get from the state. Now, the line has been drawn in the sand with this ruling. I really think it has shaken a lot of people up and made things very clear on the same-sex marriage ruling. And there are more things coming down the pike, right? Like having satanic worship services in front of government buildings. and th There's all kind of crazy things going on. And now this counterfeit church has to stand up and make a stand. And they're so used to swimming in neutrality in, you know, bathing in the gray zone, that they're not ready to do that. Well, this is going to be a major problem. And their arrogance and their absolute codependency on this arrogant culture holds them in bondage. They can't stand the prospect of being disliked, much less, Sheila, going to jail or being martyred. These pastors have pensions, okay? These pastors have retirement packages. The college tuitions and stuff are, for their children many times are paid by the church. 
uh, where they live, what they drive, their their wife's addiction to vanity and and objects of great price in the mall. These things are all sponsored by the counterfeit church. So when I stand up and I say, I'm going to take a stand and I'm going to go back to what the scripture really teaches about the apostolic church, you know, the Acts church, then I have to be willing to let go of all that. And I've already set myself up in this arrogant lifestyle. I mean, look at the height of arrogance. This, uh, Rob Bell, right? He came out almost a year ago now, I think it was. You right. know, he's a big, big Oprah fan. Uh, you know, I mean, he gets to go on Oprah now. I mean, he's big. He's in the big time, all right? He came out with such an arrogant statement that I absolutely blasted him over on my show, where he said, these letters from 2,000 years ago are basically irrelevant for the, for the modern church. Yeah. We, how can we look back to letters from 2000 years ago. So we should throw Sheila, you should take your Bible and throw it in the trash can and listen to this faggy guy who I can't figure out what he believes. I can't figure it out. I'm like Michael Douglas in wall street. Remember that scene in wall street where he had the whole board of, of the company up there. And he said, and he said to the people, I've been studying what these guys do for the last two or three months. And I still can't figure it out. You know, <laughs> but the thing is this, you know, Sheila, this is what's on my heart right now. We're done diagnosing the problem. Now it's time to implement the solution. Amen. You know, a lot of us on here, we've diagnosed the problem. I mean, down to being anal about it. I mean, we've gotten to every single detail of what's wrong with, with society mostly. Okay. Cause the church, the, counter for church doesn't want to look at itself but there are a few of us who have even told us what's wrong with what we call the church okay to a great degree in detail at least i know that's what i've been doing for a year and a half and uh that's great but we've now come to a point where it's openly obvious to anyone who's not of a reprobate mind okay to see where this culture and this counterfeit church culture along with it is. The question is, okay, what are we going to do now? What's, what's going to happen with believers? Are believers going to continue, like, like this example I gave, even though they were given all the facts, continue to choose to believe the lie because they don't want like the facts, and continue to support these phony prosperity ministries? These phony best life now ministries, these phony, phony dispensational teaching, pre-trib rapture ministries, and all these politically bent, they call them ministries, but all they preach is politics and economics. Are people going to continue to follow this and support this, even with their money, when it has proven over time to be the wrong message, the wrong emphasis. It's proven to be a tree without fruit, like the tree that Jesus walked up to, where he thought there was figs on the tree and there was only leaves, and Jesus cursed the tree and said, bear your bad fruit no longer. Are, are, we, are, they, are Christians going to continue to support these things that are, have proven to be wells without water, clouds without water, that are not, you know, that are not feeding the people of God, with the true word of God, with the Holy Spirit, with the true pattern 
that Jesus wants to build the church with. There's a lot of talk about Reformation, Sheila, you know, but a lot of people don't understand. For instance, the Reformation five or six hundred years ago, this was not a reforming of the Roman Catholic apostasy, the Roman Catholic Church. No, these men left the church. They left the Roman Catholic Church. So they didn't reform the Roman Catholic Church. It was a reformation of doctrine, a reformation of Christian practice, okay? And we, we already know, I've mentioned many times, that they didn't cover all the bases, okay? And God has been working since then to do that. But even in the bases that they covered, they walked away from that counterfeit church system. So there's a lot of talk today, even in our circle, Sheila, in all honesty, about the, you know, reforming the church and changing the church and the church better this and the church better that. But who's willing to walk away from this counterfeit church system and take the heat and pay the price to let Jesus do what he what he originally told the first Pope Peter. OK, and I say that facetiously. He told Peter what? You are that rock, that stone, that Petra. Upon this rock, I, I will build my church. So how many of us are willing? Because this is the sin, Sheila. This is the root sin. People are swinging at, you know, diseased leaves and chopping off branches. And, and again, in arrogance, like you say, acting like big spiritual heroes because they're lopping off branches and leaves. But who's willing to put the axe to the root of the tree and say the whole thing is wrong? It's time for Revelation 18. Come out of her, my people, and be not partakers of her sins and receive not of her plagues and come out of that false church system. And, you know, here's a question that I get a lot, Sheila. Uh, well, Danny, how can we influence culture? How can we be that light, that city set on a hill that Jesus told us to be if we're not all embroiled in the world system and trying to change it and affect it? Well, Jesus did it and his apostles did it. Jesus had no political uh, associations, no political connections. Neither did the first church have anything to do with trying to reform or change Roman society or the counterpart of our Christian church today in the common era, the, uh, the Jewish religion, the Hebrew religion of the old covenant, they did not try to reform those things. No, they walked away from those things. And they allowed Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit to raise up the organic body of Christ. They understood when Jesus said to Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That Jesus is building the church through willing vessels, dead men, men who have allowed themselves to be crucified with him, have put away their own selfish agendas, have been willing to deny themselves and take up their cross and follow him, have left mother, father, brother, sister, friend, churchgoer, associate, uh, members of my denomination, fellow pastors, on and on and on, my denomination itself, whatever it may be, to follow Christ 
and let him build his organic body through us. We have sinned since the time of Constantine and even a little before, and I've talked about this on your show, that the counterfeit church, the genesis of the actual manifestation of the counterfeit church was in the Constantinian era when man started to build the church for God. So when is there going to be a repentance, for instance, in the United States and Canada and Western Europe and Australia and Africa and so on and so forth, and over there in South Korea, all right? Where man stops building this counterfeit church for God and walks away from that beast, that false prophet of Revelation 13, and allows Jesus to start to bring back the organic apostolic church, the Acts church that we see demonstrated for us in the book of Acts. That's the real repentance that has to happen. So going back to our city on a hill, Sheila. Our light shining for all men to see. To see. Well, we've put buckets over that light. They're called church buildings. We've covered that light with buckets, big buckets called church buildings, okay? And because we've done that, we have not, it's been the other way around. We have not affected and influenced society. Society, rather, has encroached and come into and totally dominated the, the uh, environment and the culture of the counterfeit church instead of the church shining its light and influencing society. Well, how did Jesus and the first apostles influence society by being separated from society and living solely only for the propagation and the demonstration of the kingdom of God, the invisible nation an eternal kingdom, they look forward to a kingdom made not with man's hands, Hebrews 11 says. Abraham himself already way back then left his country and looked for one not made with man's hands, but one whose builder and maker was God. And we are citizens not of this worldly system or of a counterfeit church who apes and mimics this worldly system, but we are citizens of the invisible nation, the eternal kingdom of God, and we will rule and reign with Christ in the millennium. That's the fact. We're not going to change society now before the millennium. It's a pipe dream. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to call people out of this world system. That's what Jesus did. That's what the apostles did. Now, check this out, Sheila. Because they were so totally sold out to that truth, they turned, the scripture says, they turned their world upside down. They affected the sinners around them, okay? They were called Christians in Antioch, Christians of Christ. Why? Because the sinners that were watching them saw that they acted like Christ, they spoke like Christ, they had the power of Christ, and they had the same effect on the people as Christ had. So therefore, they called them Christians or little Christs, okay? The scripture says again, according to the knowledge that they had of the known world that time, that the gospel had been preached in all the known world. So they affected people's lives because they separated themselves and they were their own community. The scripture also says 
The testimony came out of the mouths of their enemies as well. In spite of the fact that they hated this sect and wanted it done away with, they said, but one thing we have to say, behold how they love one another. So that was the light that was shown. That was the effect. That was the city on a hill that they had separated themselves and they had allowed Christ to build his church through them instead of building a church modeled on the world system and offering it up to Christ as a sacrifice of Cain. Remember Cain and Abel. Abel's sacrifice was accepted because apparently he gave God what God asked for. Cain came with the work of his own hands from the cursed earth and presented it to God, a bloodless sacrifice, and God rejected it. And that's what this counterfeit church system is. It's a an, an sacrifice of Cain, of man taking his own self-effort and will and mixture of worldly politics and methods and means and mixing it together and offering it, offering it up to God and saying, this is the church you told us to build, Jesus. But Jesus said, I never told you to build the church. I said, I would build my church through you. But you are actually acting as the builders who have rejected the chief cornerstone. Read the letter of Peter. These are the, the builders, the Masons, okay? The Illuminists, the Freemasons, the Luciferians, who are the, the false architects, the under-architects of he who claims to be the chief architect of the universe, Satanael himself, Satan. Okay, well, we're joining with them in building these church institutions and church buildings and denominations and religions and everything else. We're following their pattern. So in the name of Jesus, we're building the apparatus that is against Jesus, if you can follow my meaning on that. So when are we going to repent of this? When are we going to chop this tree down at its root and come out? Think about this. Just take this as an example. What if the church, instead of having poured trillions and trillions of dollars into these mega church buildings and cathedrals and man-made programs and so on and so forth, had allowed the Holy Spirit to build the model that we see in the book of Acts, where the poor came to the church for welfare? came to the church for assistance. And the apostles actually had to set up seven deacons who that was all they did was take care of the widows, the orphan, the poor, the destitute. We wouldn't need Franklin Delano Roosevelt's antiquated welfare system and social security system. Imagine all those trillions of dollars if we hadn't followed the Lord's pattern instead of the world's pattern. And we can get into that in more detail in another time. Well, and the truth is that the book of Acts is really a hand manual for living because we are to go out and do the Great Commission. We are to preach the gospel. We're to lay hands on the sick, cast out devils. We're to baptize people in water as well as, you know, when they come out of the water, they should be speaking in tongues. We, why aren't we doing that, though, Danny? Well, Sheila, I'll give you a testimony. Uh, just we have our teleconference call again tonight from 7 to 9 p.m. It's only for people who are serious. 
not for spiritual voyeurs who just want to listen. These people have to get onto the teleconference call, and uh, it's a small group of people. And I pastor according to the real definition of poimen, shepherd. I teach and pastor these people more intimately, okay? But you know what happened last Wednesday on this program? We had four or five people, I believe it was, got baptized in the Holy Spirit over the phone. Praise God. You know how many people I've water baptized? I had a paraplegic who was friends with someone who was listening to my program for some time and heard that I was willing to do a water baptism with him over the phone. That man tracked me down, Sheila, and had his health aid. He had no family member or church member or anyone to assist him. All he had was, I believe, his unbeliever health aide there who takes care of him. Take him out into his pool in his backyard and light him down into the water and actually do the operation of doing the immersing of him for me while I prayed with him and while he gave his profession and confession of the Lord Jesus Christ and he was baptized in water. These are the things that are right at our fingertips that we can be doing if we're walking as the Acts Church. But if everything has to happen in this Constantinian mausoleum, you know the church buildings were initially uh, built so that dead people could be buried there and then they could be worshipped as icons. That's why Constantine, uh, Constantine's mother wanted that done and Constantine wanted it done. Okay, so the, the origin of church buildings are mausoleums. So we think that everything has to happen in this mausoleum. Meanwhile, the organic church, the Acts Church, what's going on there? Bottom line is we should be doing it. If we were true followers of Jesus Christ, that book of Acts would be essentially a hand manual for Christian living, and we're not seeing that. But that's another topic for another day. We'll get into that because you're right, Danny. We've put the problem under a microscope for long enough, and now it's really time to give people solutions. Amen. Tell our listeners a little bit more about your teleconference for those who would be interested. And again, very it's for serious people that really want to press into the deeper things of God. How can people join you in that, Danny? Well, you go to the website and you'll see a place there. I think it's on the Q&A page, the question and answer page on, on my website, godisnotreligious.net, godisnotreligious.net. You go onto the website and send us your email. And say you want to be on the telecom, you're interested in the teleconference call, and we'll send you the number and the code that you can come on and be part of that. This is more interaction. This is the let's talk part of let's talk God is not religious. It's more I want the people to share their hearts, what they're struggling with, what they're dealing with, their testimony. The people get to talk, Sheila. Okay? They actually get to talk. The people actually get to talk to me. Okay, and then I interact with them. This is what it's about. See, and this is why these people got baptized in the Holy Spirit, because, you know, there's also a trust factor that we have to build up with people as the, the servant love functions, as the fivefold ministers. People have to really believe that we care about them and that we're willing to listen to them and we're really invested in their lives. So that's what we do. We allow the people to come on and share where they've come from, what they've been through, what they're struggling with, what they're seeking God for, what they've learned, what they feel they need to 
get victory over so on and so forth. Well, I thank you for your time in setting that up because you're right. It really is about that koinonia, isn't it? It surely is. We need to get back to the ecclesia, which is the assembly or the gathering together of the called out ones, and koinonia, which is genuine, intimate, passionate friendship and fellowship in the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, Danny, thank you so much for coming on the show. And also, thank you for everything you do, particularly this teleconference folks i suggest you go to danny's website godisnotreligious.net and seriously sign up for that i mean that is amazing that you get to have some personal one-on-one time with danny morano so that sounds amazing and what time is that again danny that's from 7 to 9 p.m on wednesdays eastern standard time 7 to 9 p.m eastern standard time on wednesday evening Danny, again, thank you so much for coming on the program, and I do hope you come back and see us soon. I definitely will. Thank you, Sheila. Thanks, Danny. Folks, that was Dr. Danny Morano from GodIsNotReligious.net. Do check out his handiwork, and do get involved in that teleconference. Amazing man of God, and what a blessing. So, Friday, we have an amazing show. Augusto Perez is joining us. He's back from his trip to Ecuador incredible information to share so I'm really looking forward to that now speaking of Friday it's with a very heavy heart that I tell my listeners that I'm going off the air Friday due to lack of financial support I just got off a 21 day fast I've been fasting and praying and I was really seeking where God was leading and it just appears to be in a different capacity because I just do not have the financial means to keep on the air. Again, I've accumulated way too much airtime cost, and I'm going further behind. And that's no way to run an operation. I really know I did my part. I thought my audience would do theirs. But I know there has been some people that have supported me along the way, and I really appreciate very much from the bottom of my heart the ones that did. I do so appreciate that and of course this is with a heavy heart this is a very sad announcement for me and it's not one that I wanted to make but it has to be said and as you know I'm a truth teller I had asked people to continue to financially support the broadcast and it just hasn't worked out that way so again it's with a heavy heart that I bid you a farewell on Friday Friday being my last show I don't know what God has planned for me but I'm confident there is another area for me. But it doesn't appear to be on radio because of the airtime bill that I'm already behind. I'll have to be working a full-time job in August just to try to pay that. I can't do both. So that's reality. That's the truth. And that's just the way the cookie crumbles. So the ones that did support me along the way, I thank you very much for that. We'll see what God has in mind. Anyway, do tune in to Friday's show. It's the last broadcast, and I think it'll be a good one. Good night, and God bless. There's a peace I've come to know Though my heart and flesh may fail There's an anchor for my soul I can say 